Good morning. Thank you for the happy birthday greeting. I appreciate that all 72 years of me. I have now caught up with my wife and uh, with my buddy Bill. So uh, we're good to go now. She's the oldest but the youngest. Yeah, I am. There you go. Yeah, I, I always am. Yeah. So, brothers and sisters, a few weeks ago, Sandy and I traveled up into Colorado to spend a week watching our granddaughters play softball in a tournament, a national tournament up there. And uh, we decided on the way back uh, to uh, stop in Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs was the place where Sandy and I uh, did our internship back in 1974. We looked up the address for the church, and since it had been such a long, long time, we brought it up on our navigation and so on, and so we started driving through Colorado Springs, and turned the corner, we saw the steeple of the church, and we were so, so excited that we might go in and see that place again that had brought us so many blessings for 12 months in that place. And, but as uh, we came closer to where you would turn in, there was not a sign that said Bethany Lutheran Church. There was a sign that said climbing available. Buy your shoes, your bicycles, your skis in this place. And I said to myself, well, they must have sold off the front of the building for income purposes. Pulled in and parked the car and started walking towards the door to what had been the sanctuary. And there was an arrow set entrance over here. And so we went around into that entrance, and here was this vast space with all of these uh, sports kinds of equipment. Uh, and a young lady with a big smile on her face asking us how she could help us. And I told her who I was and what I had done before. And she said, oh, I'm so, so sorry. This has not been a church for over eight years now. But you're welcome to walk around. And so we started walking through the building and in what was used to be the sanctuary were these, were these walls painted blue and they had these, these, these uh, pieces sticking out of the wall where you could climb up and, and, and figure out how you might reach the mountaintop. And, and underneath there, that what used to be the floor for the sanctuary was, was about this thick a cushion so that if you fell, uh, you wouldn't hurt yourself. We went downstairs into what used to be the fellowship and there were more cushions like this and more walls on which to climb. And I left that place all but in tears because it was no longer what Christ had put it there to be. And I began to ask myself, how, how is it that that happens? 
I prayed about that and asked the Spirit to give me guidance and direction and understanding and all of that. And what I got was something like this, that the church in many places, in many quarters, has lost its way. It has forsaken its calling and its mandate. And it has gone the way of the world. And when the church does that, what I saw was the result. Cold brick and mortar with no life in it. There's too much of that going around these days, brothers and sisters. Too many churches are closing. Too many churches are being split down the middle. Some going one way and others going the other way. The most flabbergasting part about this that, that struck me a few weeks ago was the Southern Baptist Conference and Convention has been split down the middle over social justice issues. A church that is divided is easy to be conquered and not by the good, but by the evil. And that is something of what we are going to talk about today. As we begin to understand that maybe what we need to do if we want to have a future as a church is to get back, back to where we were, where it was established, how it initially grew, and how it can grow again. Back to the future. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you and I both know that the devil's been working on me this week to try to turn me away from this message. It has left me, O oh God, a little uneasy and unsteady. But I am reminded again that these are not your words that are to be spoken, but yours. They're not my thoughts, but your thoughts. It is not my own strength that is at work here, but your spirit who wills this today. And so, Father, for the sake of those here present in this place and beyond this place, I pray, Father, that you will just pour into all of us and into me the, the, the renewing power of your spirit uh, that we might hear the word, respond to the word, and again begin to live out that word in whatever way that you would show us to do in the days ahead. Do not leave us or me to ourselves, for if left to ourselves, we will certainly bring it all to destruction. And this I would pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In 1930, a uh, Swedish theologian published a book called Christus Victor. And in that book, this author, Gustav Olein, laid out the history and the thought behind three distinct 
theories regarding the atonement. Now, what is the atonement? The atonement is the act and the means by which God reconciles himself to humanity and does this through the wonderful, gracious, loving sacrifice in the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Three distinct theories. The one that uh, gained the most traction early on and even for a thousand years was, was on challenge was called the classical theory of the atonement. The theory that, by the way, Martin Luther espoused to. It is about a battleground, a war that is going on between good and evil, God and Satan, and that this battle is waged day in and day out, every second, every hour, every month, every year, in the goal and intent of winning souls. Now, Jesus came into this world to do that battle with Satan. He accomplished it on the cross by dying there, bearing our sins upon that cross. The devil knows that that is sufficient enough to win this war. But the devil has never cried uncle, has never said, I get in. You've won. It's over. He continues to push. He continues to fight, never giving up, even so that he might take one soul away from his enemy and opponent, Jesus Christ. John understood this. Understood that while Jesus had won the war, there was still a battle to be raged. He understood that this was done not out there somewhere, although that's what we're fighting against, the principalities out there, but it happens, it is being done here, in this place, in this community, in this state, in this country, and in this world. And what the devil uses are the things of the world to tempt us, to draw us away from the Jesus who says, this is how you shall live, to live a way that is contrary to the calling of Christ upon our lives. Jealousy, envy, pride, anger, the seven deadly sins. That's what's in the world. The lust, the, 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 the slothiness, the, 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 the not wanting to work. <laughs> There's one for today, right? Why should I work when the government's paying me not to work? See, it's in the world. Always has been. Since the fall, it's in the world. The devil is in the world 
trying to turn the heads of God's people both inside and outside of the church to turn all of humanity against God and to bring them into this relationship with one who has no interest in them whatsoever except winning the war and taking the booty and the spoil which is you and me. Again, John knew that. He also knew that much of the temptation that the devil would use to draw people away from Christ and from the redemption that he offers is through individuals within the church. Not outside the church, but within the church. John writes in our second lesson for today about the Antichrist. The Antichrist who will come. But he says already there are Antichrists all around working. They started in the church, he says, but they have broken out and they have gone their own way. And you need to understand that. You need to be aware of that. You need to be to be very sensitive to, to what it is these individuals might be saying to you because they don't care about you. They don't care about your life. Not just here, but forevermore. They care only about themselves. It's a long list. You can even start with Peter. Peter, in our gospel text for today, Jesus sends with the disciples and he says, you know, the day is coming when, when I'm, I'm, I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be tried and I'm going to be beaten and I'm going to be hung upon a cross and I'm going to die upon that cross and on the third day I'm going to be raised up. And Peter says, oh, no, 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 that cannot be, it will not be, and he rebuked him. And Jesus took him aside and said, uh, slow down, Peter. Be careful, Peter. You're not on the side of God, but you're on the side of who? Satan. On the side of Satan. Get back in line. Anytime any individual opposes the person of Jesus Christ, denies him for who and what he is, that individual is an antichrist. Pure and simple. At that moment in time when Jesus was rebuked by Peter, Paul, uh, Peter was functioning as an antichrist. Not as a child of God. The first Real one, though, was Corinthus. Corinthus was a contemporary of John. And what Corinthus did was go out there and say, Jesus has no divinity. He was born of a man. He was born of a woman. When Jesus was baptized, Christ came into him. And through his, his ministry of three years until he went to the cross, 
he had some sense of divinity. But when he went to the cross, that divinity left him, and he died as a simple human being. Is that the Jesus you know? That's not the Jesus you know. It's not the Jesus I know. Soon thereafter, in the second century, this thing called Gnosticism just exploded on the scene. And this this Gnosticism basically said, Jesus was divine, but never human. And the reason he was divine but never human was because nothing can divine can enter into something that is human, something that is corrupt like a human body. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he wasn't physically there. He was only there as kind of an aberration. An aberration is called docetism, which means has the appearance of. Jesus never really died on that cross. The Jesus that you and I believe in. Is that the Jesus you really believe in? Is that what the Apostles' Creed, which we just spoke, said? That Apostles' Creed said that he was born of what? Woman and spirit, right? He is God in human flesh. Truly God, truly man. That's what we espouse. But here come the Gnostics, trying to turn the heads of people and get them away from that. All of it is a means and an attempt whereby Jesus and his power might be minimized. And the role that he plays, downgraded. Now, if the person of Jesus is minimized and the role that he plays is downgraded, how secure is your salvation? Not much. Not very. So we got to listen. Leo X, during the Reformation, went out to the people and said, forget Jesus, buy my indulgences. Buy enough indulgences, I can build my basilica and call it St. Peter's in the middle of the city of Rome. He minimized Jesus. He made works the answer to your salvation. Can you earn your own salvation, yes or no? No, of course you can't. But he had the people drinking that Kool-Aid, and they were buying those indulgences and did so without stopping until one young man finally stood up and said, hey, whoa, time out, wait a minute. That's not what the Word of God says. We are not saved by works, but by our faith in the one who offered himself up for us. That by his sacrifice, and by his sacrifice alone, would we know eternal life. The list goes on. Joseph Smith and the Mormon Church. Joel Osteen. 
Huh? What does God want for you? To be rich. To have the airplane and the yacht and the huge mansion on 50 acres of ground. To wear the diamond rings and the gold necklaces. That's what God wants for you, and you can have it. You can have that. What is John saying in our lesson for today? The things of this world are what? Passing away. Passing away. Barack Obama's mansion is passing away. The White House and the Capitol building, they're passing away. Your car, your home, they're passing away. They don't have what it takes to be eternal. Only God can provide the eternal. Amen? Only God can do that. But it doesn't stop individuals, even within the church, telling you otherwise. And today, it's even become subtle. Very, very subtle. Social justice. Who here in this sanctuary today does not want to help people. We all want to help people. Who here in this sanctuary today who has heard Christ's call to love does not love everybody as we are able regardless of their race, their creed, their color, their political or even sexual orientation? We are called to love, and therefore we love. But not, hear me, not at the expense of the truth of the message that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. If I say anything other than that, then when I stand before him and the angels, He's going to be ashamed of me. And I don't want Jesus ashamed of me when I stand at the judgment seat. Do you? Anybody? Of course not. And so while we hear about and know the importance of reaching out to those who are in need, we stand firm on the person who is our hope unto everlasting life, and that person is Jesus Christ. The one who was arrested, tried, beaten, and crucified, only to be raised on the third day. That's the one on whom we stand. No other. No other. I, I have even heard a Lutheran pastor say that heaven has been won for everybody it's a done deal. 
So therefore, it doesn't even matter if you believe in Jesus. Heaven is still your home. Is that in here? No. It's called universalism. Now, you know what universalism does for you? What universalism does for you is it takes all the weight of responsibility off your shoulders. That's what responsibility does for you. Universalism does for you. It takes, it takes away that call upon your life to be a disciple. Because if your neighbor, regardless of how they feel about Jesus or anybody else, is already in heaven, what's the need to go talk to them? What's the need to offer yourself up for them? It's easy. Everybody's safe so I can go on about my business. I don't even have to deal with that sticky little thing about other religions. I don't have to do that either. I, I, I don't have to say that I love the Muslim, but he needs to know Jesus. I don't have to say that in a universalistic view of the world. So no one is offended. No one is challenged. No one's called to account. No one's asked to do anything because it's all been wonderfully done. Now they're half right. It has been wonderfully done. But the other part is wrong. We do have to stand before the judgment seat. We do have to answer for what we have done or failed to do or did that we shouldn't have done. We have to take seriously Jesus' call to us to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow him. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, he means it. Amen? And so we have a ministry to the Muslim and to the Hindu and to the Buddhist and to the non-believer. We have a ministry to all of them because without Jesus, they do not enter into the kingdom of God. And what they must do is very simple. Jesus answers the question, what must we do? His answer... Believe in me. Gospel of St. Mark, 16th chapter, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Paul writes and says, All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Actually, that was Peter. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's all about Jesus. There is no other in the universe, in the world, that can save you. Only Jesus. So today, we're called back to that one very simple and yet profound truth. God entered the person of Jesus and Jesus was God. And Jesus, the God-man, suffered and died and was raised up so that all who would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. 
Ignore the minions out there. Small and large with the label of Antichrist. Because their whole goal in this battle is to take you away from Jesus. John didn't want that to happen in his time. Luther didn't want it to happen in his time. We don't want it to happen in your time. To you or us. Don't want it to happen to any of us. We need to hold firm on that one overriding truth. Jesus is God. Born of flesh. Suffering and dying and being raised up. So we might first be reconciled to the Father and then saved for eternal life. Can't do it on our own. Need help. That's why God gives us His Spirit. John writes in this text, he says, You have the knowledge. That knowledge has been given to you by the Holy One. What's the Holy One? The Holy Spirit is the Holy One. It gives the knowledge. It sustains you in the knowledge. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot believe. And if we cannot believe, then we will not be saved. And so we have this weapon, this tool, first of all, more than any other, the gift of the Holy Spirit to keep us on the straight and narrow. And when we get off of it, to bring us back in sorrow and repentance so that we can have that new person built up in us and can live a life of holiness and righteousness before man and before God. And if we're living that that righteousness before man and before God, man will see that. And that's how they come to Jesus. But it's by the Spirit that this takes place. But not just the Spirit, but by the Word. Be in the Word. When my wife and I were were at our grandson's, uh, what's it called? Christian Christian Challenge. It's it's the equivalent of of uh, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ in community colleges. Okay. And we were at one of their meetings Friday night. And they were getting all pumped up to go back onto campus here soon and take Jesus to the young people in that campus. Now, did they do that on their own power? Were they preparing to do that on their own power? No. They were calling down the Spirit of God upon them. They were being encouraged to be in the Word each and every day, keeping that Word in front of them so that nothing from the outside, none of those antichrists could get the better of them. But standing firm in the person of Jesus and in the Word that espouses Him to be who and what He is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they could go onto that campus and they could proclaim Him as Lord and Savior regardless of who that person was without out apology. So that the day when they do answer God, they will not be ashamed. God will not be ashamed of them. I 
Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Yeah. Um, I don't know how well it's getting across, but I, I just want you to hear what the Spirit is saying to you today. There are forces out there that want to turn you away from the Savior of your life. There are forces out there who want to tell you something as truth when in fact it isn't truth at all. It is a lie. Example. Remember Oli from a few weeks ago? Well, I got an Oli story for you again, but this time Oli's not in the pub. He's in a barn. And he's not alone, but he's with his fan, friend, Sven. So Oli and Sven are in the barn. And they're having a discussion about the Lord's Prayer. Who is it that really knows the Lord's Prayer? And they're bantering back and forth about this. And, and ultimately, Oli says to Sven, Okay, Sven, I'll bet you that you don't know the Lord's Prayer. And Sven said, By cracky, I'll show you that I know the Lord's Prayer. And Oli said, Okay, go. Says, Sven says, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And Oli is in awe. Sven, I didn't know you knew it. Somebody got to them. Somebody turned a truth into a lie, a lie into the truth. That's what they did. And it happens every day. Hear it on the news. Hear it in the churches. Hear it in the classrooms. Wherever you go, truths are being made into lies and lies are being made into truths. So Jesus is not the Lord and Savior of your life. He's just another human being that God used to make you feel better for a while. Now, if that's all you have, that's all I have. And God help us. But the truth is, Jesus is Lord and Savior of all who believe. And by His grace and our faith, the door of eternity is open for us. But not just for us. For everybody and anybody who would come after us who would believe in Him as well. And some of the responsibility for that is placed on your shoulders and mine. We dare not listen to the Antichrists, but we better put on the armor of God, word, spirit, faith, knowledge, wisdom, put all of that on 
and stand for him in the face of the attack of the evil one and his minions, both inside and outside of the church, so that the world might yet know the beauty and the wonder of being one with God through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where the guarantee is. Piece of paper, an inheritance, an insurance policy with the stamp of Christ's blood on it. That's what you have. Don't let anyone take that away from you. Your soul is one. Let's keep it that way. Amen? Thank you.